This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Richard Clark. I'm here with our editor-in-chief, Drew Dixon. Hey, Drew. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, every week, we like to inspi- invite a special guest to talk with us about life, games, and belief. And this week, we are joined by... Kara Ellison, who you may know from Rock Paper Shotgun, other things, Unwinnable. <laughs> what else things, do you do? What are, what are some other stuff we could know you from, Kara? Uh, the Guardian. Uh, sometimes I write for IGN. Sometimes I write for PC Gamer. Sometimes I write for uh, and you, and you've, Vice. You've, you've, I guess. Uh, you've developed games too, right? Oh uh, yeah, I uh, I worked for Little Loud for a while, and I I way back in the midst of time, I was a tester on GTA Four, at Rockstar North, so that was fun. Um, but yeah, like I I kind of have sort of had a strange career of like dipping in and out of stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I have a kind of weird uh, one one foot in writing, one foot in game design kind of life, I guess. And you're also doing a Patreon right now where people can give yeah. you money for your writing. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I started up this project where I would just like go and stay with, oh god, there's like a giant airplane overhead. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I started up this, uh, this uh, sort of project where I would go and stay with game developers and then I would just sort of uh, write about their life and like uh, how their environment affects their outlook on stuff and how it affects their work. So that's been super interesting. So I'm, uh, it's now July and I'm sort of trying to uh, sort of think about where I'm going to go next. And I've been in the United States for quite a while now, so I think it's time to maybe go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we should. Yeah, you don't uh, want to. You don't want to get stuck here. <laughs> that, that's it. I mean, it's it's just because I've had like a six month journalism visa. Um, for the U.S., so I thought I should should sort of like use it up um, and then go elsewhere after it's expired. So yeah, so co- that's coming to an end just now. So you're doing embedded game journalism, which explains the airplanes and stuff. That's right. Yes, yeah, so I'm actually I'm <laughs> I I'm staying in uh, Elizabeth Simmons' apartment in Manhattan just now because she uh, went away on her honeymoon. Uh, so I'm I'm cat sitting, uh, oh, but nice. for. Yeah, but for a week I stayed with uh, Nina Freeman to write about Nina Freeman's work. And, Which is, uh, can, talk about that. Sorry? Work. Talk about what she does. Oh, okay. Um, so Nina Freeman mainly writes, uh, she, she makes uh, games. That, she's a programmer and she teaches at Code Liberation. And um, she mainly makes games that are kind of autobiographical, um, which make them really unique and interesting. Um, and she... Uh, she basically has made quite a lot of little games about her childhood and um, and her experiences of being a girl, I guess, girlhood. Yeah. And um, she made this really neat little game called How Do You Do It, which is about her uh, her, her her tiny uh, girl self trying to figure out exactly what goes on in the movie Titanic when <laughs> the windows steam up in the car. Yeah. And um, 
and so yeah, so she she made this little game about her playing around with Barbie dolls, Barbie and Ken, and like trying to figure out how you do it. So I actually basically. played that game at the unwinnable, uh, <laughs> the unwinnable, um, whatever it salon. was, salon. Yeah, salon where they had a bunch of different games there, and I went and played it. Yeah, and I spent about five minutes trying to make these dolls do it, and, then, <laughs> and it was so weird because like. There were just people watching me, and I was like, hey, and you I'm couldn't, rich and you couldn't figure it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't you, understand how this works. I'm married you, and everything, but still. Did you get shy, Richard? I did. That's so. That was kind of the moral of the story: is that I got really shy, and I just took off my headphones and I said, "Well, cool." <laughs> and how many times? Away. How many times did you do it? Did you did it come up with a score? I don't remember the score. I was I was bailed bailing out by that point. I remember that Teddy, uh, how do you say his name? Diefenbach, is that right? Yeah, Diefenbach. Yeah. Yeah. Teddy Diefenbach was in the room and just kind of like looked down as I walked out. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> so was, uncomfortable. He was really disappointed that you couldn't, you know, that you couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, anyway, so good. Yeah, she makes these like little games and she's making, right now she's making another game that might make you a bit shy, uh, which is about, um, her experience, um, like playing video games online with, um, uh, with boys and how, um, her, her relation, her first, uh, relationship, uh, transpired with a boy through a video game where it sort of got a bit sexy and like they I guess they decided they were going to meet up and then she had her first sexual experience with this guy she met through playing an MMO so um she's making a game about that and um yeah like it's got some pretty deep issues in it I feel so yeah I remember not to play that at the next unwinnable salon yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's time to play it by yourself awesome so at the beginning of the show we always like to talk to our guests and and just trying to get a sense of where they're coming from in terms of belief and what they feel about life and God and things. So I want to start by asking you a more concrete question than we normally ask people, which is yeah. that how were you raised in terms of religion? Like where did you, what is your, what was your family sort of uh, instilling in you in terms of belief? Yeah. Sure. Um, well, I grew up uh, in, uh, I guess, like a fairly quiet residential neighborhood in Aberdeen in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And um, my mum and dad, I feel like my dad isn't particularly religious at all, but my mum my came from a Scottish Protestant background. Um, and I guess... My mom felt like there was a kind of duty to take me to church when I was little. So I went to Sunday school, I think. And uh, I can't really remember when I stopped going to Sunday school. But I do specifically remember uh, hating the awkward Sunday school clothes <laughs> that I had to wear. <laughs> I had to wear, like, a proper dress. And, like, I remember this is one dress which was blue with white polka dots that I hated. I had, a gi- I had a giant bow on it, and I hated bows, and I hated dresses, and I was just very annoyed by the whole process. And I had to wear these like really uncomfortable patent black shoes, and they're really shiny shoes, and they hurt my feet, and I was so annoyed about it. And I guess that kind of contributed to my 
my later complaints about going to church um, because I associated it with uncomfortable clothing. Yeah. And then, uh, and yeah, and so I, I went to church um, quite often on Sundays until I said to my mum one day, because I, I had this kind of experience at Sunday school where I suddenly got like the curious little brat child kind of uh, sort of temperament. And I, I started to be that kid at the back of Sunday school who was pretty much just like, so where are the dinosaurs in this book? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, you know that annoying kid at the back who's just like, so like if if God created the universe, who created God? And um, like I thought I was being really clever, mm-hmm. and um, and I was and and basically the Sunday school teacher was incredibly patient with me, but essentially I had started to get really annoyed about the fact that I felt like they were avoiding my questions. Yeah. And so sure. I one day asked my mom if I could not go back to Sunday school because I said I didn't like it. And I think my mom, she was very open to the idea that I might be developing my own beliefs and have an own, my own kind of spiritual feelings about things. And so I feel like she respected that. And, uh, and I didn't go back to church unless it was an important, an important occasion, sure. like someone was getting married or um, like... Sometimes we go at Christmas, actually, because my mum likes to go at Christmas. But I'm uncertain to this day of what my mum really believes about church and, and religion and God. I, I think that she feels definitely feels a duty because of her family. Mm-hmm. I think my grandparents are a Protestant Christian and always have been. Uh, but, like, I, I I don't really know what my mum, my mum believes, but I feel like she, she certainly feels like she has a duty to the church still. Yeah. Yeah. So was there a particular, so was it literally just the, the sort of, was it, so how to ask this? So was it just like an unconscious sort of drifting away that, that I think, I think so. I mean, I, I remember also being really badly bullied at school. Okay. Um, and I remember thinking if God cared about me. Yeah he would help mm-hmm. me out. And I think I lost my faith as a kid because of that, because I felt like I was so upset all of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously at this time I hadn't read Job or whatever, but... I, <laughs> <laughs> Let I, us tell you about Job, Kara. <laughs> we'll solve all your problems. I know. I was like, you know, I actually, I read, I read the Bible cover to cover because I think I, I love the Bible. I actually wow. an incredible uh, work of literature and uh-huh. I really, I really get on with the Bible. It, it contradicts itself an awful lot, but it's an, an incredible piece of work. And um uh and I often I often feel like if I'd read Job earlier, maybe I would have been slightly more of a believer and, and I but I did I feel like I lost my faith because because I was so upset as a kid that I, I actually lost any kind of uh like I just I felt like God didn't exist, I think. Yeah. From from those from those experiences, anyway. Do you really think Job would have helped, though? Because, like, the whole message of Job is basically, like, you don't get to ask that question. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I don't actually know. I mean... I, maybe it would have given some perspective. Or may, maybe it would have made me angrier, because yeah. I feel like yeah. he was treated incredibly badly. So. Job think, gets he gets pretty angry. Yes, he does. In, in, that, in that book. Yeah. But yeah. Mostly, mostly with his friends. I've always but, felt uh, like um, in in life there are two kinds of people. Uh, in this respect, I'm not. Yeah, in this respect, there are two types of people, and they're basically the people who where God looks at them and goes, 
who are you to ask that question, they say, oh, you're good point, like Job. And then there's the people who go, well, I mean, I'm a logical, reasonable human being. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I mean, this is that you have to answer this question. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are a lot of questions. And I guess like, I guess my, my questions not being answered maybe was also another thing that shaped my frustration with my own church was the fact that they weren't willing to engage a tiny child um, because they thought that maybe I was uh, not smart enough to understand or that maybe I was just being a brat. But like, I really was, I did need an answer to those questions when I was a kid. And I feel like maybe it would have been good to sit me down and say, okay, so, you know, you're you're obviously too old to be in this class. Uh, Maybe we, you know, maybe (laughs) we should, or or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I, I felt... I felt a lot like I needed some answers and I felt like maybe no one was around to give them to me. How old were you at this time? I'm not quite sure. I mean, I maybe I was like eight or, or nine, maybe. Just I'm like a sure. sentient child. It's just, like just, like, just a little brat, I think, because uh. it was at this time I started to be like chatty and loud, whereas before I'd been very shy, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So yeah, which is something that not many people can imagine me as a shy person but yeah uh, uh yeah so yeah no and i i i now i kind of have a so i i regard religion as being very helpful in a lot of ways like i was saying in that in that piece that went up on game church i i feel a lot like uh religion can be incredibly beneficial in terms of community mm-hmm. um i think for example like my grandmother has such a beneficial um, relationship with her church, her local church in Falkland in Scotland, that I feel uh, really kind of quite a lot of gratitude, I guess, towards uh, her local church for just even existing because I feel like it yeah. gives her like a, a like it centers her being, you know, something like that. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. so what I mean, because obviously you you kind of stepped away. So what would you say? Is there something that that does that for you? that centers your being that sort of what, what drives you, what gives you your sense of purpose. If that makes sense. It's really, it's a kind of a tough question, I guess. I think for me, it's, um, it's also community and it's also relationships with people. Like I really, um, I feel a sense of well-being when I'm around other people and I get to talk to them about their, you know, their, their outlook on life and their desires and their, interests and um i guess that's part of like the project i'm doing now is enabling me to talk with smart interesting clever people about how they look at life and why they do what they do and um and it's really fulfilling and i and i like the fact that they are also they're not uh it's not a series of interviews in which it's just uh it's just something that they that uh i get from it but it's also something that they get from it like i mean the interviews often sort of break down into like uh just us just having a chat about where we are in our lives which is like really fulfilling and interesting like it's like yeah. much more fluid and uh i feel a lot like they're just as interested in me as i am in them and it's like a very mutual thing and i feel like that's a really um that's definitely like a really fulfilling conversation to have with someone about like your ambitions and you know how, yeah. how life has treated you yeah, that that's interesting because that's kind of a lot of what's like driven the interviews that we do. I think yeah. similarly, at least, um, I mean, like, obviously we come at it from 
you know, we come at most of the interviews that we do from the position of like wanting to know what people believe about God, about life, about spirituality. Um, but what we found is like most of the people that we interview are not Christians and most of them are, are, are not even other religions. Um, most of the people we've interviewed have been like agnostic or atheistic or, um, you know, I don't know, they might call themselves secular humanists. I don't want to speak for everybody, but that's, would you say that's fair, Rich, in general? I think everyone calls themselves <laughs> secular or humanists. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to be fair. We've no, yeah, I think that's true. But, but like, by, by asking that question about spirituality and belief, we've gotten to talk about, like, what really matters to people and what they value. Yes. Um, and so we're having, like, a deeper conversation about games, uh, about video games, than I think tends to happen um so like we just don't care about how many guns people put in their new shooter or or like or like you know the leveling system in the new whatever there's another Um, aspect of this that really struck me yesterday actually i was talking to a friend of mine about this podcast we were doing and how i was excited because it allows these conversations with people that just don't happen and it kind of models how to discuss these things with people without it becoming like the worst thing ever right um, like a yeah. Thanksgiving meal or something, um, yeah. <laughs> and or Facebook. But uh, one thing I I thought like I wish there was a way to do this uh, as a podcast, like a general, a more general podcast. Like this is just like random people you may have heard of that are doing cool things, and here's what they think. But then I thought you really can't do that without a common interest, and I started thinking about how important the idea of something like video games are just as a way of having relationships with people, you know? Yeah, this is kind yeah. of basic, but at the same time, it is it is true that you can't have these... Uh, a, a lot of times you can't have these relationships, especially, like, outside of something like a church. Um, you can't have these relationships without without a common interest like games, and especially when, when games are becoming more interesting and more uh, have have more depth, I think. You know, more really more worthy of, of you know of, of deep critical thought you know deep yeah. criticism deep, or deeper criticism than maybe has been common I guess sure. um, yeah yeah and I, I I totally agree I think that um, if you're asking someone uh, like why they like video games I think probably what will crop up a lot is like oh you know like I used to play video games with my brother or I used to play video games with my friends or mm-hmm. I found a lot of my friends through playing an online game and I most of my mo- profound sort of experiences with games are because I connected with someone else uh, through video games and I feel very much like they're important to me because of relationships and community and mm-hmm. like you know the people that you uh, are around when you when you talk about video games. I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So let's uh, let's uh, talk about something that will make us feel bad about video games instead. Uh, Drew, <laughs> you have a, a topic in mind about video game addiction. Yeah, specific version of that, I guess. Yeah, I wanted to talk. We'll talk more broadly about addiction, but the reason I brought it up is because um, a documentary just came out. I think last night. Well. <laughs> when not last night, but last week, because of when this podcast is going to go live um, in the future. That was in the future, um, but it went up on on HBO um, about uh, this. There was a, a couple in Korea, in South Korea, that ne- essentially neglected their child, their infant child, their daughter, um, and 
but they neglected her because they were addicted. They were really into this game called Prius, uh, a massively multiplayer online role-playing game um, that was really popular in Korea in 2011. Um, and so this, their daughter died, and they were actually, interestingly enough, let off. Uh, they were not charged with manslaughter or, or murder, or however you would you would define that, um, because the court made a concession for um, for this idea of, of video game addiction. Uh, but anyway, th- there's a there's a documentary about it, and I really want to see it. Um, the documentary is called Love Child, I think. That's what it's called. Um, but, uh, there's a great review of it on, Ko- on Kotaku by Yannick LeJack, um, that would, I'd encourage you to check out. Um, but I wanted to talk about it because I think this is just like, this is one of a lot of sort of tragic stories that have come out. Not, I wouldn't say a lot, but, you know, a number of, of guys dying in internet cafes, um, things like that. Just sort of, um, of it being an obsession. So I wonder what you guys think about this. Should we, I mean, is this something that that's diagnosable? <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't know how much we can speak to the science that, or the health aspects of it, but um, should we call people who are obsessed with video games addicts? Um, you know, how should we think about helping people? Because I think it's a conversation that my issue with is there's a conversation that's often not happening amongst people who are into video games or yeah. quote unquote gamers because. We tend to get, I think a lot of people who are into video games tend to get really defensive when you talk about addiction because they're like, well, I'm not like that. I don't, I don't play video games that way. Like, don't, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, um, which is a horrible, I shouldn't not have used that given this, <laughs> I should not have used Jeez. that idiom. Gosh, I just realized how horrible that is considering the subject matter. Um, but I rebuke myself. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I'm curious what, what you guys think about, um, you know, how, how can we, wh- you know, how can we push this conversation forward in a meaningful way? What do you think, Kara? I think it's, I think we should probably be talking more um, about taking, taking breaks and like how, how to like temper like video games with other parts of your life. Because I often feel like a uh, particular particularly gamer gamer culture, I guess, is a kind of stereotype, is obsessed with being hardcore and becoming yeah. the best at things and to spending like lots of time with video games. And I think uh I think actually it's much healthier to only consume video games like like moderately, like pretty much everything else, because uh I, I often feel like you know what video games would uh really uh like the community of, of gamers would really benefit from having like more sort of culture, like a wider cultural knowledge than just video games. I feel a lot, a lot like this with, um, you know, whenever like social topics come up, like on the internet, I feel a lot like, you know, you might, you might care more about other people if you had like a wider cultural knowledge that just wasn't just like consuming video games. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah. I feel like it's not healthy. Like, I, it wouldn't be healthy if I just watched, like, six movies a day and did nothing else, you know? Like, yeah. it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be healthy to do that. So why is it healthy to just play a video game all day long um, to the detriment of everything else? I mean, obviously, once in a while, sure. But, like, I feel like my life is much better 
my writing is much better. My work is much better for me, like going outside every day and doing something that isn't video games and like going to see films and going yeah. to listen to music and going to concerts is, is, is part of a healthy attitude towards life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I actually would go a step further and say it's probably unhealthy to just consume media for 12 hours straight in a day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even if you do vary it or balance it in some way, I think it's just really important to, to kind of get out and, and, uh, I wouldn't say experience life because all of that is part of it, but, um, it's part of life. But I, I think it's important to have relationships and not be some kind of a weird island who, like, what's the point of that stuff? If it's yeah. not to help you to broaden your mind and help you relate to people. I mean, that's like, I don't know. It's part of it is just my preference, but like I, uh, like 50% of the reason I l- enjoy media is because it helps me to relate to people in different ways. Um, yeah. And to yeah. understand the, the broader, the, like, to understand the world, you yeah. know, like that's mm-hmm. why that we have to make sense of the world and we have to want to, participate in the world and I think media very much helps with that but it's like it's only one small part of like how everything works and it's definitely not healthy to focus on that to the detriment of everything else yeah yeah the other thing I wonder about too is you know I I wonder how much um you know I think like like this company in Korea that made this game I think actually put some effort into refining the game and kind of encouraging people to take breaks and different things, um, which I was actually encouraged by because I think, I think typically the response to stuff like this is like, well, everybody knows you shouldn't, <laughs> you know, everybody knows that you shouldn't play a game for 24 hours straight or whatever. Like that should be common sense. Like people should know how to control themselves is kind of the general response. Uh-huh. Um, but I do think, I, I wonder, I do wonder about like how much, a responsibility some of these game developers have for their product being addictive because I think video games, speci- video game makers, uh, developers specifically try to get their hooks deep into people and hook them back so they keep coming back and playing more and more Candy Crush Saga or whatever. Yeah. Um, like I think it was maybe not last GDC, but maybe the GDC before. Rich, you talked to somebody from, was it Zynga? I think. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And yeah. they, and they talked, they kind of bragged about how like they had to, keep their employees from playing this game they were making because it, you know, was cutting down on their productivity because it was so addictive. And that's just like a gross thing to brag about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also feel like, uh, my, my colleagues, my colleagues and me who write about video games, um, include, I mean, I feel a lot like we, we all use a particular kind of language to describe a good video game, right? And mm-hmm. I often, we often, and I am guilty of this crime, we often use the word addictive yeah. to describe a good video game. I think that is terrible language. And yeah. As soon as yep. I realized I was doing it, which was like maybe a year ago or a bit more, I stopped, doing, I stopped using that language to describe video games because I think that's really unhealthy. Uh, I don't think mm. that we should reward games for being addictive i think we should reward them for being entertaining but not addictive and yeah, yeah. compelling uh, compelling yeah. engaging meaningful yeah. all of these words are i i don't think we should be rewarding games for being addictive because yeah. uh, that's a kind of messed up way to refer to to something and I, I yeah and i i certainly think that that kind of language is 
PR language also, but we affect each other, you know? Yeah. They, yeah. they want us to, to start saying something is addictive and they, and then video game developers pick up on that and they're like, okay, we should make this game addictive. And it's like, no, please don't. Like, yeah. I, I want to be able to leave this game with all of my parts intact, you know? Like, I wonder yeah. though, is that, is that just, I mean, so I agree that the language is gross and that the idea that you can't pull yourself away from a game is maybe a bad thing. <laughs> Um, but I wonder, like, what is the difference between addictive and compelling? In, in the case of a video game, like, in video game parlance, like, what is that difference? Is there a difference at all? Do we really, like, if a game is compelling, it's it's going to be hard to step away from, right? It's going to take, you You could easily spend significant amount of time playing it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think about this, I've thought about this a lot, and I'm, it's, I think it's a difficult line between those two things. Um, because in a sense, developers, I mean, let's be honest, they're trying to, you know, feed their families and make a game that people are going to want to buy and spend some money on. And, uh, so they've got to make it compelling. You know, it has to be interesting. It has to be something that people want to come back to on some level. Um, even though I think, actually, I think there's more of a market today for games that people can play for a very short amount of time, put down and never play again. Than there was in the past, for sure. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but that said, like, I think there's a, and I don't know how you draw the line exactly, but there is a line at which, at some point, you know, I think we've crossed into the territory of of making this game that um, is 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 specifically designed to tuck to suck away people's uh, time and money. Um, you know, I, I wonder. I don't want to paint with broad brush strokes, but I'm because I think there's a healthy way to play Candy Crush Saga, but that may be the best example of a game that I think is specifically designed to get people to really just throw themselves at it in an unhealthy way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I I guess I just think probably the developers of that game hold, you know, maybe not the lion's share of responsibility for the people that, that, that do that, but they do hold some responsibility. I mean, we would say, like, I mean, we would all kind of agree, like, the lottery holds some responsibility for preying on poor people. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. Um so So well one thing like I wanted to mention is that Jen Frank about three days ago published a, a piece called On Destiny and Game Widows. Did anyone read this by any chance? I haven't read it yet, but um I I was gonna read it today. It sounds fantastic. It's it speaks exactly to this issue of like designing games. I think the key here and, and Jen oh, kind I, of I did read this, it was okay. great. I remember she isolates yeah. like really nicely the the issue which is that game developers do not design games with human lives in mind (laughs) like with uh at least with adult human lives in mind even though they are theoretically designing for adults so destiny doesn't let you pause the game and uh it kind of ignores the concept that there are there are people in this world and most of us in fact that have to pause a game we just have to be able to do that if not just to use the restroom occasionally you know, to also, like, have families and, and go do things that, like, take out the trash and just do normal things. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's kind of the crux of the issue. I don't, I don't think we need to, like, go out of our way to not make, like, Candy Crush. In some ways, I'm, I'm forgiving of Candy Crush. The only issue I have of Candy Crush is that it exploits, like, the, the person who does get sucked in. Um, but in another way, it, it's easy to quit. You can you can play it, and then you can quit in a very practical sense. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
Uh, that's sure. literally not an option with Destiny unless you want to like exit all the way out uh, at a really opportune time, and you always feel as if you're missing something. And so I don't know. I'm not condemning Destiny necessarily, but I think it's a problem in general for game designers to have to deal with. Yeah, for sure. And so, like, to kind of close the conversation, I would just say in general, I think one of the best things we can do is, like, as as fans of the medium of games, I hesitate to, like, use that term gamer all the time, but as as people who are invested in, 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 in the medium of video games, I think we should encourage more, you know, more conversations about addiction, more uh, research done about, you know, how much time is healthy to play a video game. Like, the unhealthy thing is to go like, oh, come on, you know. I think that's the attitude we have a lot of times about discussions about game violence and whether or not that has, like, a real-world correlation. Yes, I realize that there's people like Fox News and whatever that are horribly, um, you know... Uh, overstating. Ster- yeah, overstating things on that. But at the same time, I think the best thing we can go is like, yeah, if, if games are... If, if my relationship to games, to video games, is detrimental in some way, like, I want to know, you know. And so to just kind of open that conversation up and say, hey, we're, we're open to this conversation. We're curious to hear what, what research suggests, you know, that sort of thing. So Yeah. Um, okay, moving on. Kara, I've heard that there is a uh, whole organization that wants to take over my video games. Yeah. Is that like they're coming for it, them? <laughs> yeah. Um, they're <laughs> called the Scary Feminists. And they want to come take your video games away from you. Oh, oh man, it's scary. Uh, I didn't even I didn't even know about this. I know it's like <laughs> I mean I didn't. No one, no one, no one expects the feminazi brigade uh, to turn up at their doorstep, but sometimes it happens. No, I mean I feel a lot like uh, uh, I I kind of understand sort of the way that people the way that people react when they're told that maybe their video games might suck in some way. Uh, You get very defensive, I guess. Uh, But yeah, like, there's a really good article up on Polygon um, that Catherine Cross wrote, which is basically um, explaining um, about the fact that there is this kind of very real fear that that gamers have of um, their games um, changing so that they don't, you know, in a way that they don't like. Um, basically she was saying like, uh, this, this often happened, there's often like, a big backlash to say feminist criticism of video games and people get really scared that like the games they know and love will disappear forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. which is obviously not true. Um, cause basically like, for example, if you're, if you're telling me that, uh, because of Gone Home's existence, uh, we're going to stop making stuff like Gears of War. I, I can't believe that's ever going to happen, ever. Yeah. Uh, which is which is what lots of people are, I think, afraid of. But um, she, Catherine Cross also makes a f- fantastic point where she says that, um, you know, it, this kind of fear has been created by by the fact that, like, people like Fox News often cover video games in a sensationalist and often misleading way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so gamers at large are generally incredibly defensive because they've been basically defending video games their entire lives from their parents and from their, you know, like from the media and mm-hmm. uh, video games have always had a very bad reputation. And so I guess they get very defensive. So, yeah, yeah it's a good I, article. I, uh... I found myself um, 
<laughs> this is sort of a tangent a little bit, but it, when you talked about getting defensive, it's interesting. Like my, I have family in town right now, and I found myself getting defensive to my dad yesterday <laughs> about video games. Oh no! <laughs> and he was he said some comment about how you know all, all those video games are violent, and I was like, a lot like maybe not most, but a lot of the video games I play are not violent at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I was like, it was reliving a you know high school it's, memories <laughs> it's funny because like i have this like really skewed like skewed view of video games now because i write this like sexy column at rock paper shotgun <laughs> and like so now all of the games i play have like sex or relationship elements <laughs> in them and it's like now i just think that all video games are incredibly sexy <laughs> which is a whole other problem that needs like, to be solved yeah and then so now i'm just like okay like i mean it's weird because i haven't played a violent video game in a really long time so i mean it's definitely possible to play video games and not you know not have a simulate like a, a virtual person simulate violence on another virtual person it's definitely yeah. possible yeah the weird thing about that defensiveness for me because drew i experienced the same thing like when i'm playing some game i got on steam for like five dollars on the steam sale and my wife walks in and she's like this looks stupid or horrible or whatever <laughs> and yeah. i'm just like well ho- hold on but you don't understand like <laughs> <laughs> like all the things yeah. they do and stuff. Like because we have to, we have to uh, take the good as it comes, and sometimes it comes in really awful, like packaging. You know what I mean? Um, in this yeah. medium, I think. But the funny thing about being defensive about it is that oftentimes I find myself on the offense against video games. Like a good example is sure. when when uh, what was the thing? The I don't Riptide. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. That, the, you're talking about the torso? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the bloody torso that um, was released with whatever Riptide. I uh, dead, dead Island Riptide. Dead Island Riptide, yeah. So when that was released, I became so enraged, I almost gave up all hope for video <laughs> games. Like, I was yeah. just like, I don't think I could teach, like, I could teach my child to pl- use an Xbox controller anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So... It's, it's, I feel like, gosh, any human being has to have these moments where they're just pissed off (laughs) about the stuff. Though, I mean, I know there are different perspectives about that. I don't know, Kara, do you ever get pissed off or you just kind of handle it? Pissed off, pissed off about what? Sorry. About like, uh, the, the Dead Island Riptide torso. I was pretty, I was pretty pissed off about it. I mean, I, I wrote that like, this, article like satirical article for the new statesman where i i posed the you know the world in which it was just like all like games were all just made for women and we'd mm-hmm. started making like disembodied like crotches <laughs> with and i was like would that be okay no yeah. it wouldn't be okay like there's yeah. no stretch yeah. of the imagination but like it would just not be okay and it's really strange that we've got ourselves into this parallel universe where, like, anything, like, something like that would go on someone's mantelpiece. Not that mm. gamers have mantelpieces or anything. Well, <laughs> some, 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 some gamers might have mantelpieces. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, not that why would you put that on, on in your house as pride of yeah. place? You just wouldn't want it. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, when that came out, I, I thought, I literally thought to myself, like, I don't know how you would be more objectifying. I don't know how they would have come up with a more objectifying piece of whatever that is, swag or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, it's, it's just was like the worst 
it were, I mean, and I say that, and there's somebody will top it for sure. But um, you know, it's I was pretty enraged by that too because I'm thinking about um, you know my daughters and and that sort of thing. So I mean, I think there's a time for sure to go on the offensive, and like uh, I think the, the point of this article, right, is is that like the fact that video games are diversifying is a really good thing, you know. Um, and I think uh, you know. Um, you know, I guess the question is, how do we deal with the the, the people who are being really defensive about um, about video games from a chauvinistic point of view? You know, how do we? Well, um, I don't know because I feel like it stems from um, like socialized, so how we're socialized from when we're kids. You know, like I guess what I'd like to see is like. Um, feminism being taught in schools. I know that that seems like a bit of a stretch, but like I think it would be really good to do like gender studies maybe like yeah. a, l- a little yeah. bit earlier in schools because like it's really it's really apparent to me that like young boys I mean they did that like study on the MRA Reddit forum like Reddit or whatever which was um they basically asked everyone who's a men's rights activist to 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 like like how old they were and like you know, their background and everything. And it just turned out that it was just 17 to 20 year old, uh, white straight men who, uh, who were all libertarians, uh, who had never, it turned out like, I, I think maybe there was something that suggested that they might never have had sex with women yet or something, or that <laughs> they not had a relationship yet or something. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of it suggested to me, like maybe, after the age of 20, there's something that happens that then, like, men start to be less douchey in that manner. And I really do think it's just that they either get friends who are women or they have relationships with women um, that, um, that actually start to, ha- like, get them to, to even empathize with women, which is, yeah. you know, incredible, <laughs> an incredible feat of humanity that someone might empathize with a woman but I think that's what it is, is that maybe this, like, how you're socialized when you're a teen actually really affects, um, like, how you treat women. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew, I know that I was a, I was kind of a pretty horrible misogynist as well when I was, um, when I was younger. So it does, it's not isolated to men. It is also something that women participate in. That women start to hate other women for very little reason and it's all just because it one like at one point in history it was convenient yeah. um so yeah like i don't know it's 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 very difficult to know what to do about this because i feel like video games are are mainly uh played by uh like 17 to 20 year old men and that's you know that's a problem of empathy i think Honestly, I feel like that we're in an age where the answer to this problem is not wholly, but partially, uh, media choices. Like, and the idea of, me- I think that media has a huge impact on impressionable young minds, right? Um, cause I grew up watching, like, Saved by the Bell, and that show, mm-hmm. like, ruined me <laughs> in terms of relationships for a long period. Even though it was a wow. stupid, idiotic show. It was the <laughs> dumbest show. There's no reason to take it seriously. But I just like the way Zach thinks about relationships and women is, is really messed up. But Wait, I just how didn't... does he think about, how does he think about relationships? I never, I've never thought about this before. He does, okay. Uh, he's a sociopath, or maybe it's a psychopath. <laughs> I already get them mix, mixed up, but he <laughs> wants what he wants, period, and he will get it. He does, he tricks people. I just watched an episode today 
<laughs> oh my god! I just watched an episode today where he, uh, this is obviously why this is on my mind, but he wanted to date, he wanted to be Kelly's prom date, um, but he didn't realize it until like after a little while, and so when he asked her, he was like, she was like, someone's already asked me, I'm sorry, and I told them yes. And so he went and like told this guy that his, her family was really scary and would beat him up if they didn't like, uh, if, if he didn't back like off. Like his dad whatever. was going to shoot him or something. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And so then he got to take, he got to, he got Kelly to say yes. And then she found out and she was mad for like 10 minutes. And then he just explained like, Kelly, I just know that we're supposed to be together. And she was like, yeah, you're right. Wow. It was incredible. And that's like a typical e- episode of Saved yeah. by the Bell. It's like weird though because it's it sort of implies this like particular kind of, you know, territorialism yes. that women are some some sort of possession or a territory on which men can negotiate for them, which is Absolutely. like terrible. Absolutely. And I I'm, I'm telling you 100% like I grew up feeling that way because I didn't know any better. No one t- actively taught me anything else you know what yeah. i mean yeah. i just yeah. felt like a woman where it was 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 there to be one you know what i mean mm-hmm. and, yes and i was quote unquote a loser because i didn't have a woman yeah know? yeah i mean but i find sorry good i was just gonna say i still feel that way about myself like the fact that i don't have a boyfriend <laughs> often makes me feel very bad about myself huh um, and I feel like that kind of thing is like that teenage thing is still working. It's horrible, uh, magic on me right now. So it's, it's, it's kind of long running. Like it's very difficult to get out of the feeling that you're somehow, uh, deficient for not being, for not having attention from mm. the opposite sex if you're heterosexual. So yeah, I will say that's one thing I love about being married. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. <laughs> it's it's like the it's like uh yeah it's like a total i guess it doesn't work for everybody but for me it's like it makes sense that that it would short circuit that a little bit yeah i mean i i think uh that you, that you can't you can't possibly be territorial in that relationship and, and it be healthy is that what you mean well that and like you don't have to worry about if anyone else likes you you don't really care oh right right Right. Yeah, I mean, when I yeah. was in a relationship, a long-term relationship, I really enjoyed the fact that I never actually thought about shaving my legs because I was like, well, who's going to see it? My boyfriend? <laughs> he can't do anything about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. Sure. Um, let's, speaking of losers, let's talk about the art of losing. I wanted to talk about this idea because, uh, I don't know, it seems like something that should theoretically make us feel bad. Uh, but I feel like... Um, Sometimes we don't feel bad when we lose games. So I just wanted to discuss for a little bit, like, how you guys feel when you lose a video game or a board game and, like, if that's changed over time or what. Um, so losing. I mean, I, I always find it hard to play a game with lots of other people who are very familiar with that game. Yeah. Because, like, there's a part of me that just, like, hates being taught or patronized or <laughs> I, I absolutely hate board games that have very like huge rule books because mm-hmm. I just I'm so impatient I mean part of the reason why I think I really like video games is that you can learn by playing um, and that's actually something that video games are incredibly good at is actually like teaching you to play them and board games yeah. are not so good at that they're actually kind of bad at teaching you to play them well 
Um, and the rule books are always incredibly badly written. Um, and so yeah. I often feel like uh, that experience puts me off of board games so much because I feel like I'm always the new person in a room full of people who already know how to play the game. And I lose very often because I don't know the inner mechanics of the game very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that often gets me down, I think. Yeah. yeah, in a video game, that's just bad game design. Like, when you lose because you don't understand it. You know? Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Board games, I, we definitely allow for that to happen. I generally, like, I've gotten to, I think I've gotten to a place in my life where, in general, I don't care so much about losing. But it does, like, like there's games in the past that I've had to stop playing because I care too much <laughs> about losing <laughs> them at them. Um, for some reason, like, I really, I don't play, I don't really play many sports games except for FIFA, um, because I'm really into soccer or for, uh, for Kara football, right? Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, for some reason when I play online, when I play FIFA online, oh, that was dumb. I don't know why I said it. Um, <laughs> I've rebuked myself twice on this podcast. Uh, we'll go for a trifecta here in a little bit. But, uh, uh, anyway. For some reason, I I would get really angry when I would lose, and so I I quit playing it. Um, and I think, um, like, and this is a dumb thing too. Like, I would I would even like I would, if I would lose to the computer, I would turn it off so that it wouldn't save the fact that I lost. <laughs> That's like the most ridiculous thing to do. But for some reason, with that game, I do it. It's because you can. It's you know I'm sort of exploiting the mechanics of the game, I guess, when I do that. But um, I don't know what's wrong with me, Rich. Tell me. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I wonder, like, so one thing I was wondering and one reason I brought this up is because we all agree that, uh, it's, it's probably bad to, like, overly, be overly upset about losing. I wonder if it's equally bad to be, like, to delight in losing because I find myself really enjoying losing sometimes, like, in interesting ways or, like, in ways that, you know, cause me to just laugh or something. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like yeah. What's an example? Well, okay, like the other day I was playing Nutrunner, and um, I lost in like this ludicrous way. I don't know how to explain it to people that haven't played Nutrunner, but if you played Nutrunner, like I had, I was at six agenda points, so I had one more agenda point that I needed, and I was about to steal it, but uh, I did a run without clicks left, so this is ridiculous. <laughs> that is so. Oh my gosh! That's so <laughs> I did. I did a run without clicks left. I got like a tag. I was like, "Fine, I'll I'm take a tag." Him. And then, of course, I got scorched earth and I lost all my cards and got destroyed on that turn. It was. Oh, a that's amazing! Mistake. Yeah, that's an amazing loss. <laughs> that's really something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys know what I'm talking about. I know. <laughs> so anyway, it was just one of those mistakes that's like, uh, I'm trying to give an analogy. Like if you, like if you're, um, a goalie and you forget that you can't, can use your hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, yes. you know, like you're like, Oh crap. I just, just remembered I could have used my hands, but the ball got went right past me. But, um, it's like that sort of thing. And that, that's like a moment where I just laughed so hard. It was like the best story <laughs> ever, you know, at least between me and Austin, who I was playing Netrunner with. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Is there, is there, is there a, I guess in team sports, it would be like really lame to have someone on your team that's like super happy about failing, you know? Uh, yeah. I can tell you as someone who's coach soccer, it's very frustrating to have people <laughs> on your team who are happy about failing. Does that happen? 
Yeah, I coached. Um, I, the, my first experience coaching soccer was I coached a junior varsity girls high school soccer, um, and and so I had I had a group of girls on my team that were really just kind of there to have fun, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. that's the point. <laughs> of sports is to have fun, but yep. they were really there to have fun, and they really did not care. So, like, we're losing two to zero to this team, and there's still time left in the game, and they're going like, "Hey, uh, you know, where do you guys want to go eat after this? Um, <laughs> you know, what, 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 where do you want to go for burgers later?" And it's like, yeah. uh, it's frustrating. Oh, you know what that makes me think of is when you're playing. We're gonna keep talking about board games because Kara's on the show, so probably we should do that. Uh, uh, when you're playing Settlers of Catan and one person of the four of you decides they don't care anymore. Like, oh, that yeah. is the most disastrous moment of, of the entire game. Because then they just yeah. start, like, trading stuff off to the winner so that it ends sooner. Um, yep. So, yeah, I think the most, like, the, 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 the most uh, dangerous people <clears throat> who play board games are the ones who lose, who lose faith very, very quickly. Yeah. Those are dangerous people to play yeah. board games with. If they've lost the will to live, yeah. they, you are going to have a terrible game. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like, uh, have you played Neptune's Pride, Kara, by chance? No, I don't think oh, so. Okay. Oh, no, I know. I, oh, no, it was uh, another Greek-based, Greek myth-based one. I can't remember okay. what it was called. Yeah. Well, it's basically, Sorry. I mean, it's a it's a board game, but you play it on, on your computer. On, you play it online. But it's sort of this, like, uh, you know... Um, uh, asynchronous kind of uh, board game type thing. And anyway, like you, I, I've won that game twice, and both times I won really because people who quit playing, um, <laughs> you know, gave me their resources. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I think that's really frustrating. It can be really frustrating when other people don't care. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So maybe the key here is that you can fail all you want on your own, but the second you start dragging other people down. Or just affecting other people. Like, we're inextricably tied to other people, I think, a lot of times. Especially in multiplayer games. And we like yeah. to convince ourselves it doesn't matter, but it does. It's funny because, like, all of my all of my greatest gaming, online gaming moments have been in Dota. Uh, which is, like, the original one. Um, but now it's kind of become, like, the big, big thing with Dota 2. Yeah. But it's, like... All of my fondest memories are like me being a huge failure in that game. Like I just huh. like I would just I it's a team game and so if you've got someone who's shit on your team, it's really bad. But it's also <laughs> like because I was playing with like some of my best friends from university all the way through university, it was really funny how shit I was. To the extent yeah. to the extent that we used to just like Everyone used to just like know each other's play style and just laugh at when whenever something typically like attributed to that player happened. You know, like it was just like, oh, you know, Kara's forgotten to put wards down again, or you know, like, uh, oh no, you're just like, oh, you've died again. Like it's, it's just like really, it was really really funny, and we used to start, we used to have like songs that we'd sing over like. Uh, ventrilo we'd have like all of these like stupid things that we do and it became a kind of weird ritual that it you know it i would just laugh when something bad happened or when something went wrong and someone's like oh no Karis did something terrible because she's laughing you know like, and it would it would become this thing and so some of my fondest memories of that game are actually being terrible at it because 
it's very, very difficult to get good at that game because the learning curve is like so mm. huge. It's like yeah. incredible. So yeah, it can be good, but it probably wasn't pleasant for the other players. The hard, yeah. you know, pertaining to how crappy I was at playing the game. Yeah, <laughs> sure. That's my funny. probably my most one of one of the top most memorable gaming experiences I've ever had was losing horribly at at Daisy. And, uh, yeah, I think it can be, me- it can be really memorable to, uh, lose at a game, especially if you know why, you know, why yeah. you lost, if the game's being fair to you, um, and it beats you uh, in a sense. Um, <laughs> you know, I kind of got beat by other players in that game, but, but it was by the game too, the mechanics allowed for me to get betrayed in that sort of awful way. Um, yeah. you know, we remember those things and we, we take something from it and, and learn from that experience. I think that's a big part of the value of games. And yeah. losing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. We'll end there. Kara, thanks for uh, joining us. This was really enjoyable. Cool. And Yay, um, thank you for letting me on. Yeah, no problem. If you enjoyed the podcast, please spread the word on Twitter, on Facebook, especially on iTunes, by rating and reviewing us. You, Whenever you do that, like we climb the charts for like a day, and then we drop 40 places and it just keeps doing that until itunes decide that enough of you have done that uh so keep doing it because we want to be like one of these defunct video game podcasts that's still up for some reason in the top 40 (laughs) (laughs) um you can send us feedback or questions we are interested in reading your emails on the air if we ever get them our podcast producer is cray allred his real name really is cray uh we'll see you next week Thanks.